So welcome, Gagan Bir, to this podcast. I am so looking forward to our conversation because when we were talking just now, planning out like, you know, what topics would be cool to talk about, I really had to stop myself from asking about each one because it sounded so interesting. They all sounded so interesting and juicy. Uh, thank you, Kat. So how about if we start with an introduction? Who are you? Where are you? What do you do? And what's one thing about you that people would never guess? Yeah, so, um, well, I'm Gaganbeet Palta, and people often address me as uh, Gaganbeet. I'm based in the UK, in London, and um, the heart of the commercial capital, the banking capital, service capital, I mean, the various words which get attached to London these days, including the fashion capital and home of Brexit, for the right or wrong reason, but I think <laughs> it's... <laughs> It's, it's it's all there at the moment. It's a happening place. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've, yeah we've, I think, touched every facet uh, at the moment, uh, which may be possible. Um, yes, I think I think one of the key um, factors that people don't really uh, gauge, they often see me as being the agilist or the lean master, someone I've had, you know, um, a good line and experience in the past. I've had very senior positions and PNL responsibilities. They don't often see me as someone who has researched people's behavior to a very strong uh, forte. So um, when I'm sitting in a in a room, I often am picking up a lot of micro signals by subconscious, and then uh, and I'm a behavior psychologist. So it's, it's it's very interesting when sometimes I'm put to the test and people say, "Oh, so what have you observed?" And I say, "You know, oh, I've seen a little toe wiggling about ten times every time I use the word a." And people say, oh, wow, okay. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's all there. It's always recording. And I think, I think, um, I believe uh, every person's journey is for a purpose. I mean, when I started my career, I never really thought um, it would be so truly stitched up. And I think I've, over time, I've started to realize my real need of what I want to contribute to society. I always wanted to create a change, I always wanted to create an impact, I always wanted to leave something behind as a legacy. Just didn't want to be as one of the, the people who walked the earth and that is something which I've been steadily doing the last five to six years. Mm. And that's, that's something which will not come across when you meet me in a room. It makes me curious to ask you, what's the legacy that you want to leave? Uh, very interesting because because I think uh, for me I am a firm believer that people are the hold the key and are the proponent of their own change, mm -hmm. and I really want to leave thing behind which people can utilize to to help enable themselves to be better, to be more in control of themselves uh, rather than relying on extreme methods or. Um, relying on people to to help assimilate their information because I'm a firm believer no one knows you better than you yourself as an individual. Mm -hmm. And if you truly understand uh, a mechanism, then you're the best person to change it. Everything else is actually just an addition to that. Mm -hmm. And very often we get hooked onto the addition rather than the self. And I think that actualization is very, very important journey. Hmm. It sounds like both self-actualization and helping organizations self-actualize as well, if I'm guessing correctly there or no. 
Yes, absolutely. Because uh, I think I like to work at the basic component level, which is of people. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we need to understand that people come as very complex dimensions by themselves. And, and that's, that's the core building block. That's the brick. And uh, we try to flatten everything out by statements, which, which we believe are going to create the right kind of change, but we don't understand the absorption which mm-hmm. people have and how, mm-hmm. how much impact it has on them from their own experiences. And when you quickly dovetail that with hierarchy and, and complex reporting structures and demands placed on them, the net results can be quite different from what is actually planned. And that was actually the formation of all the work which I did um, in the last six, seven years now. Hmm. So interesting. So you bring this background in not only practicing agile, but agile coaching, and then you combine that with psychology. It sounds like a very dynamic combination. And uh, yes, uh, there was a need for it. And uh, let, let me actually rewind and take you back to about four years when I was sitting in one of these um, big conferences, you know, and people were coming on, on the stage talking about agile and they started agile with a small A and then they started talking about agile with, you know, psychology and then people started for various models and then someone made the drastic mistake of you know showing Bruce Stuckman's research on team formation, which I'm sure you've heard of the uh, you know standard of uh, forming, storming, yeah. norming, performing, uh, and that just blew the lid off me because I said, "Come on, man, this this is getting so crazy." I mean, uh, you know, psychology is not an easy subject by itself, right. and there are very few, and there's a reason why very few people will actually jump the line into an IT sphere. Uh, the only reason is because you need to understand the subject before you can even correlate it. And I've seen this as a trend among the people who believe they're agilists. I'm not saying all are bad. I'm not saying they're all are good. I'm saying they're people. And we need to understand their basic need and desire as to why they do the way they do something. But I think my, my key component is Bruce Tuckman itself is, is a 4,000-page research. Hmm. It is designed for sports teams. It was nothing to do with corporate life. Interesting. And and even their evolution of a team is associated on key behaviors. Yeah. For example, name calling. Name calling is very standard in 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 uh, in sports teams. Uh-huh. You can't use that in a corporate sphere. I can't name call you <laughs> and because like I probably a, get sacked. HR is going <laughs> to show up, you know, at your door. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And think of this. How many times do you really have in a sports a team which is diverse and is also uh, mixed with uh, different sexes? That's true. It's very rare. You don't have a football team which has a male and females playing together. Maybe in Harry Potter Quidditch, but other than that, I don't think <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and, I, and I saw a lot of this pick up and I said, someone has to correct it. Huh. Uh, and that's when I kind of stepped in and I started to push the edges in a lot of public spheres and I said, hang huh. on, you, uh-huh. need to, you need to get into some more aspect here before you, you start to realize how things get 
really, really built out. I mean, simple things like a team. Yeah. I mean, we talk about Scrum team, for example. Mm-hmm. But do you know that in the seven stages of behavior before you become a team, and they are actually distinguishable traits one can see to actually see if your team is actually a team. So it starts with pairs, it moves into, uh, you know, what we call um, Alex, and then it goes in different stages before you actually have a team. You don't have a team overnight. I mean, people just use the word because it's easy to explain. So that's really fascinating. What would, if people are listening or watching, what would be a resource they could look at to see those seven stages? And I'll put it in the show notes and a link. Uh, I think I'll have to probably share a lot of the content because okay. because that's that was based on a lot of the pick which I had done over time and I had observed and and when I researched teams I did I found a lot of characteristics but I did not find um, stuff which could populate or segment it into a set of behaviors. And I, I and I said, hang on. If if I am a coach and I'm working with the, with a the team, I'm not someone who can pick up a large volume an encyclopedia and and read everything about team behavior and characteristics because there is tons and tons of research out there. Yeah. But what can help me is if I have a little box, and that little box has got little compartments, and I say, hang on, is my team displaying? attributes of compartment number A mm-hmm. or is it displaying more about compartment number B and is it going through a stage of maturity? Mm-hmm. And that can help me to actually properly and say, yeah, this is this is a great, great team. For example, as a coach, I need to understand which are the two people who always hang around together for coffee. Yeah. Or on the lunch table. Right. And you would say, why is it important? Because that's a natural trust. So what triggers their trust bond? So if you talk about trust and collaborativeness, that's your first I would say the point you would like to tackle. It's the first thing you would like to extrapolate to the rest of the team. Uh-huh. And, and, and there are things like that which you can pick up. Oh, for sure. So let's take a step back because I'm very nerdly about psychology. It was my doctoral minor. So there's many different types of psychology, as you know. So what type of psychology sort of characterizes your background and what types of psychology do you find most useful in your work? You know, whether it's, I don't know, cognitive behavioralism or Jungian or the list is endless. So, so yeah, tell me about your background there. So I, my work has primarily been on the side of behavioral and uh, existential psychology uh, because I, I found a very close correlation with organizations which actually made a difference. So, one of the things which I understood over time is that the organizations which are very strong, which have created a massive change in ripple, even though they are very small in size, are heavily driven by a very strong metaphysical plane. How so? What do you and mean by that? Yeah. So so the, the understanding the consequence of why we are here. Yeah. So as an, as, an, as an individual, when you're driven by the fact of why am I here, what can I bring to this world, is that's the time when you strike with a need. And that's when you strike a need, you carry that power to actually extend it into the other three dimensions, which is your emotional, rational, and logical plane. And that's the thing stack. Ah, so... The thing stack. Yeah. 
Yeah, tell me about the, the thing stack. Thing. It's a tool. I know you mentioned that, but what is it? And yeah, what does it do? Yeah, so ThinkStack, ThinkStack came up when, you know, um, as I've worked with different organizations and I've been, I, you know, I have been across every segment possible, you know, retail, banking, financial services. I mean, you touch the means I've been there doing, doing transformation. And um, one thing I kind of found is when I spoke with a lot of people, they had goals, they had objectives. Uh, which they wanted to achieve through any kind of transformation work you would like to achieve. But very interestingly, a lot of it fell on the rational side. So people talked about, I want my organization to be really cost-driven. I want to be really productive. I want to increase the efficiency. I, um, I want to be a people-friendly company. And I said, okay, if I have to really draw a triangle, right, and uh, one face of the triangle is, is uh, the uh, rational plane. I found most organizations had everything on the rational plane. Uh-huh, yeah. And, and, and I said that can't complete because in life, our decisions are closed looped. They are not open-ended. So if you, if you actually look at the rational plane, and I said, so how do you want to create the change and what is it really missing? And then people start speaking of the softer factors. They start talking about, oh, you know, we don't trust our teammates very well. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of, uh, you know, bureaucracy in this in the system. Um, generally, we are very siloed. The leaders, you know, don't like to talk to each other. And when you drill it further, I found a lot of stuff falling on the emotional side. Mm -hmm. it, it, this, the softer stuff, which, which really, really makes people be the way they are. And I said, oh, hang on, if that's an important hinge, then that's the second side of the triangle. Mm, so there's rational and on one side, emotional on another side. The other, the other side. So they, it's, it's literally a triangle. But the third side, uh, which became even more interesting, was decision making. Hmm. And you know organizations struggle with decision making, but it's very simple. If you look at decision making, it really happens the best decisions really happen only at two points in time, either when there's intense pleasure or there's intense pain. That's true. We use our amygdala uh, and our reptile brain for absolutely, absolutely, and and, and that's that becomes a very synonymous because if you look at a program and that's that's going through it not going really well and everything is down and people say, oh my god, this is so painful. It's reached a red line. You are actually reaching the threshold of pain. And, and that actually, pressure of pain wants you to absorb and do something new. That's when you take a decision and say, hey, I want to do this new methodology. It's called a job. Can we try it? Mm, so the pain could be a catalyst for change. It's, it's one of the biggest catalysts for, for, for change. And, and that change is what drives the third part of the triangle with the decision making. However, it's very interesting that it, it started as a simple 2D model. And over time, I, when I try to populate this with organizations like the Ubers and, you know, the young mm -hmm. people who created this path-breaking organizations um, with just a handful of people, I said something is not right. Because hmm. if they are driven by only the emotional sphere, it can't create that kind of change, mm -hmm. uh, which will allow them to create a bigger for society. Hmm. So I started to study the, the gurus. Like the who? actual Indian gurus. 
Oh, like okay. uh, you know, Shri Shri Ravi Shankar, and you know, we call the smiling guru, and uh, you know, and, and and these are some of the people who have billions of followers. Huh. And I said, hang on. So if I have to look at, at them as an organization, what creates the difference? And I found something very interesting, which is which is they had a very strong metaphysical plane. They huh. identified the reason of the existence. And that hinged along very strongly with their emotional plane. And that's when ThinkStack actually modified itself into a 3D model uh-huh. and became what you would call a triangular pyramid. And you had the bottom sphere, which was the metaphysical, and the each side had one triangle which plane, which was the emotional, rational, and the, and the decision-making, which mm-hmm. hinged at the top. Mm-hmm. And in the center of it, is where I discovered that is where change actually lies. Mm. When you speak to an individual or you speak to an organization and you imagine this model, you can actually quickly see if it is even balanced to the point. And if it's missing some components, mm. you can actually, as a coach, influence it and create those shifts through games, through, mm. through experiences, through, through journeys, mm-hmm. through storytelling, and, and that's where you start to believe what really works. So the mm. intention is create change out of a consequence and not out of an unintended consequence. Mm. Because unintended consequences are fun. That's a journey in life. Mm. But it's not something you want all the time. I'd rather have a planned consequence rather than an unplanned consequence. Mm-hmm. And that's something which when you put organizations through, you'll find that a lot of the heritage businesses, they struggle with their existence because they've lost the entity of why they really came the way they began. Mm-hmm. So they like to hold on to the forte of, we've got a very strong vision statement. You've got a very strong mission statement. But that doesn't drive the ethos of the people being there. They're driven by salaries, power, positions, yeah. everything on the rational side. Yeah. And when you meet two people on the streets who are developers sitting in a bunch of shorts in, in, on a beanbag, <laughs> and you sometimes ask, what are you doing? This will be changing the world <laughs> step by step. Uh-huh. And you say, hmm, you're 23 years. Yeah, but I'm designing a program which can help to you know, tackle how, how dogs can be uh, found if they are lost. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, simple thing. So if you see that, it's nothing to do with a, you know, a rational experience. It's doing everything through a metaphysical. This is why I'm made. This is what I do. This is what I enjoy. Mm-hmm. And that's hint which an emotional side, which is the need. So, so if I have to now further complicate the model, uh, the, the three points of, of the triangle are need, define, measure. And the fourth is the spiritual awareness side. And they actually help integrate the whole model. Yeah, I was about to ask about that uh, that spiritual dimension, but just to back up and make sure I understand the model, it's not only a model for understanding, but it's a model for coaching as well, from what I'm, I'm hearing. Because if you see an imbalance between, say, the, the rational, the emotional, and the decision-making, maybe there's maybe rational is heavy, or maybe emotional is heavy, like they're fighting all the time, or they're you know, holding hands, singing songs all the time, <laughs> you know, whatever, if something's heavy, then you, you coach to that. It, am I understanding that correctly so far? 
Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And 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 this is actually combined with a it can be combined with various coaching methodologies which you may use because I think various organizations, various people, uh, you know, they they use their own coaching models to to influence that kind of change they want to create. You know, some people, for example, use a balanced wheel. Uh, some people, yeah. you know, uh, you'll use some form of a framework. Yeah. I, I, for one, like to leave things very open-ended because it allows people to really understand uh, what they're doing and why they are there. Uh, and, 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 and sometimes the simplest thing could be describe your need. Mm-hmm. And, and you, could, you could find so many reasons, but when you take the thing stack and you populate it across the various planes, you would see some planes are non-existent. Mm-hmm. And that's the time you go. You can go to a stage of exploration and say, "Okay, let me allow you to re- explore some of the sides which are not represented." And sometimes I make this, you know, three D model mm-hmm. of, of, of a triangle, and I smash one face in, and the triangle just falls, collapses. <laughs> and I said, "This is what your journey is. This is your change journey." Oh my gosh! What and, a- I, I, and I think yeah. it's it's quite a bit of a home run there. Quite a bit of a what? It's quite a bit of a home run there. So, so oh my gosh. people say, oh, wow, okay. Yeah, like I just <laughs> That's what got the in front of me and that mirrors my reality, so now help me. I would imagine as their responses. So and so, so there's these three sides, the, the rational, the emotional, the decision-making, and you mentioned metaphysical. And when I hear the word metaphysical, I think of just the standard question of what's the nature of reality. And then I also hear you adding another dimension onto that, which is what's our purpose? Why are we here? So in your model with the metaphysical sort of be in the middle. And the idea is that, you know, here's the ideal purpose in the middle and every, all the sides of the triangle should be balanced around that. So, so, so here, you know, it's very difficult to, to have an equilateral kind of a pyramid where every end is really balanced. I mean, being mm-hmm. human, and that's the beauty of it, we are evolving in nanoseconds mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, whatever you create as a triangle will change itself over time. Uh, but you need to really imagine that the center of it is a spherical ball mm-hmm. and it's always good to have whatever you do to touch all the four sets or the four sides of the model because it means your decision making your your understanding of why you're doing the things is balanced well with with some of your own local faculties of your of your, of your brain mm-hmm. and and that that can help you in more in control rather than you know doing this and this is really unique for example if i say I want to be the president of the United States sitting in the UK. You know, that's, that's, that's great. Oh, that's an excellent plan. So let's, let's talk about that's your, your need. Why do you want to do it? Because I love making people, you know, meeting people. I believe people of the future. I like to create change in the world. And I think this is a great position to be in. Uh So I'm driven by a, 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 you know, hollow metaphysical desire. I would use that word, but let's, let's look at an action now. What about the rational side? And that's where the cognitive experiences and the biases come into being. It doesn't exist. So if that doesn't exist, I really can't translate that plan into action. Do you mean, so for it's, example, it's, it's, like if 
you know, the rule is you have to be born in the United States to be the president. So is that what you mean on the rational side? Absolutely, absolutely. So that, that comes from, 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 absolutely, absolutely. So even though I may be very passionate, uh -huh. uh, I may have a very strong understanding of why I'm here. The rational side, because it doesn't exist, and it will not allow me to take a decision. It will impinge everything I need to do. So sometimes when you, if I have to corroborate that with organizations, sometimes organizations struggle with completing a change because they've not understood the nature of the base. They've not understood why some of the areas are actually completely missing. But putting into that model allows you to quickly understand where the gaps are. And you can actually showcase to them that if you don't fix this, you can't really create the change you want to see. And, and it's, it's really simple because the next part is the change I want to see and that change is that sphere. And, and teams can be taken through a journey to balance themselves and put them into the central focal point. Hmm. So what would be a real life example, leaving out names of companies, names of teams, names of people, what would be a real life example of something like this? It's, 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 it's good you, you, you mention it because, because I've seen organizations which are open to change and I, I was working with a very large bank. It was a 3.5 billion lift and shift. And uh, they said, you know, we want lift and shift, but we've been struggling with this program. We, we spent about $85 million so far. There's been not even one successful release. Ouch. And, uh, you know, someone's, yeah, someone said Agile is great. So the whole bank is going agile. Can you show us the way? And I said, okay, uh, we've got eight key managing directors and we have, uh, you know, 30 odd program managing directors below that uh, who are responsible for various sets of the change they want to create. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, let's, let's actually do uh, a tool to understand your personalities. Ooh. <laughs> Personality assessment. And I said, you know, I don't want any names. We will, we will do a blind survey. You can fill up the answers and drop a printout of it without any names into an open box, mm -hmm. which I will pick it up and I will use it to collate the results. And I will show you the results as a team. Is that huh. okay? That sounds fair. Let's go and do it. Okay. And here's the interesting bit. I mean, in the first three months, we went from waterfall to agile in flat three, three months, so which means over a thousand people Holy shifted wow. into, the, what's well, in, into the teams, magic fairy etc. Yeah, tell yeah, me. And, 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 and this same team, mm -hmm. um, the biggest change point came and actually showed the results of the leadership and the middle layer. Yeah. They were running in red across the band or adaptability to change and open openness to experience. Is that right? You mean in the assessment that you did? In the assessment for as an individual and as a team. And I said, Both. this whole band is red. Wow. So what do you guys want to do? And there was pin drop silence because suddenly the lies that, oh my God, you know, our individual assessments are actually impacting us as a team. Wow. And they actually came with ideas to start to work together better. It's been now four years since that journey. Yeah. Every member of the team who was coached is still in touch with me. Still remembers that change they want to create. And the same team which had no release did 
14 releases in 18 months. Oh my gosh, that's huge. They worked through every problem systematically. And this was not easy because this program had 28 interface integrations to be done, had a source code which was run by a third party company, which they had no contractual rights with, and they did their own releases whenever they want to. (laughs) So you could land up with code and then be overrun by another code and actually have every code break. Wow. They actually created systems around it and it actually won award for the year Huh. Among eighty other programs, as to and they call it they called it, you know, steering the oil tank around. Wow! And, and it was the actual award award given because it was so big and so sluggish. People said, you know, agile. I don't know what your intention is. Yeah. But it won't work. But like I said, it's really important to understand the essence of pain and pleasure. Hmm. Mm-hmm. The pain was understood by one person. Only. And he, 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 the guy on the top. And he said, we have to change this. Otherwise, we lose 300 million of business every day. Jeez. Yes. And that, that's the impact. So suddenly when you see business and IT coming together, hmm. and they all start understanding the reason of why they're there together, you can actually see the whole change happening very quickly. So even when people left, new people came in, it didn't matter because they were absorbed into that system. Mm-hmm. So it was a mini culture in a larger culture. Mm-hmm. I can't name the you know, bank, but mm-hmm. this is a very old three-digit a year old bank and mm-hmm. this can change, things can change. But I think people need to see that you need to isolate the areas where you want to work and then you create a system which allows people to get empowered to create that change. Mm. 